For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me here on our very first show of 2024. It is a new year and it is a new chapter. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. On social media, on Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, uh, we've got big shows coming up here. Uh, later this week, we're going to be joined by one of President Trump's attorneys, Christina Bob. Uh, she'll be back to tell us where we are on all of these fake legal cases against him. And then uh, next week, We've got a big guest coming up. I just want to confirm this person uh, later this week, and I will bring you that person's name. But I think we're going to have a major, major guest next week, which you're not going to want to miss this person. It's going to be an absolutely fascinating conversation. And we have so many big things lined up here on the Monica Crowley podcast uh, going into this year, which is going to be huge. We're also uh, talking to Dr. Naomi Wolf, who has been on this program a number of times. I'd like to have her uh, next week as well to talk about Dr. Anthony Fauci, who belongs in prison, but next week he is going to be on Capitol Hill uh, testifying two days in a row. So I'd love to have Naomi on the show to talk about his testimony and the lies and crimes of Anthony Fauci. So uh, we're working on all of these things, and we've got so many other big guests lined up as well because this year is going to be something. So we're going to take all that apart today as well. Also later today, our good friend John Solomon of Just the News, he is going to join us here to give us an overview of what we can expect for 2024 GOP primary race. Will there be a Democrat primary race? Uh, what does it look like going into the general election? What can we expect from Congress? What can we expect from the deep state? All things that we're going to talk about here on the show today. So Solomon is also coming up. Uh, we really started with him last year, our very first show in January of 23. We had Solomon and I decided that that's going to be our new tradition. So we're going to kick off every year with John Solomon because he is totally plugged in, an extraordinary investigative reporter. And we don't have many of those anymore. So we are going to kick off this year with John Solomon. So sit tight for that. But first, the Monica Memo. Happy New Year. I hope you guys had a wonderful holiday season with those you love and got some good rest and a lot of good food. I am full of bread and cheese. Okay, so maybe I'm a little sluggish today. I don't know. Uh, I have my lemon water in front of me because we got to reset. 
And we don't just have to reset our insides. We don't just have to reset our health. We've got to reset this country. This country has been bloated on bread and cheese like I am for way too long from the left, from the system, from the uni party, from the propaganda press, from the military industrial complex. All of these very dark forces have been aligned against us now for a very long time. And it is now where we are at the tipping point. You know, I talk about this because people think that somehow this horrendous situation just materialized under Joe Biden or maybe started under Barack Obama and got worse under under Biden. Um, certainly those points are, are true about Obama and Biden, but this didn't just begin with them. They were selected, and yes, I use that word on purpose, they were selected to guide the end of America, to accelerate the process of the destruction of the country. This is all intentional. We all know that by now. Um, And we are so close to hitting that point of no return that this year is literally it. Guys, this is it. This is it. 2024 is going to be an absolutely historic year, both for America and for the West and for the world. And we're obviously focused on our elections, which begin in about two weeks. January 15th, the Iowa caucuses, followed by New Hampshire and Nevada. This is for the Republicans and South Carolina, all in rapid succession, all leading to Super Tuesday, which I believe is March 5th. So we are off to the races here. In just about a week or so, we are off to the races. And what's weird is that it doesn't really feel like a presidential election year. Now, I know it's only January 2nd. (laughs) I get that. And soon, very soon, it will feel that way. But it doesn't have the same kind of energy that we saw in uh, 2016, certainly. Even 2020 with Trump in the White House running for re-election, there's always a real crackling energy. And we will get there. But we don't have it yet, and maybe that's because there is no real suspense on either side. You know that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, and at least right now, it looks like Joe Biden is going to be, and I I can't believe it, it's stunning to me, it's just beyond belief, Um, but it looks like he very well could be the nominee. So without a real primary race on either side, it's just people are like, well, ho-hum. Now, on the Republican side, you have to get out and vote. I don't care if it seems ho-hum, I don't care if you're kind of lukewarm on Donald Trump, you get out there and vote. We have to show up in droves droves, okay, because we want to do a shock and awe campaign on the left and the Democrats starting today, starting actually January 15th in Iowa. You want to so overwhelm them with numbers now that they begin to really worry about how they're going to rig the election in November with the countless people coming out in primaries, even when there really is no contest Okay, so uh, we've got to come out in numbers that are going to blow them all away. 
So don't think, well, Trump is so dominant. He doesn't really need my vote if you're sitting in South Carolina or Nevada or uh, New Hampshire or any of these early voting states. Overwhelm the system because that is what they do. Remember, guys, I've talked to you about Cloward and Piven. Cloward and Piven were these two radical, communist, straight-up Marxist professors at Columbia in the 1960s. And they devised what they called the Cloward and Piven strategy to destroy the United States from within. The entire Cloward and Piven approach is to overwhelm America's systems. You overwhelm all of her systems so that the country collapses under its own weight. The country implodes. This is what you are seeing now in every direction. Obama certainly put this on steroids, and then Joe Biden took it into the stratosphere. But this is what the trillions of dollars in unnecessary spending is. Overwhelm the U.S. economy to implode it with inflation, saddle it with a $34 trillion national debt, $2 trillion annual deficits, overwhelm the economic system. This is what our cities in collapse are all about. This is why you've got the George Soros Marxist DAs in there where violent criminals come through the system, they're in the system five minutes, and then they're turned back out onto the streets because they need violent mayhem. This is true for all communist revolutionaries. Violent mayhem in the streets serves their purposes because it destabilizes society. This is what the wide open border is all about. Bringing in 10 million, 12 million, 16 million, who knows, illegal immigrants over both of our borders, north and south, ports of entry, etc. Bring in so many people that the system cannot handle it. The healthcare system, the economic system, the educational system, community systems. Communities are ecosystems, right? In a community, you've got a local government, you've got religious institutions, your local church or synagogue, you've got local school systems, private and public, You've got a, a, a town square, you've got stores, mom and pops, maybe franchises like Starbucks, but every community has an ecosystem. And there's that word again, system. So you've got a local ecosystem, you've got a statewide ecosystem, you've got a national ecosystem, you've got the West's ecosystem, and all of it is being overrun and overwhelmed on purpose on purpose. And guys, I know the Western mind, and certainly the American mind, is very naive still. In a sweet way, we're so idealistic because we're still such a young country. So yeah, I mean, it's it's sweet, but it's not serving us right now because the evil we are up against is very real. And I do use the word evil on this show all the time because this is a spiritual battle. We're in the middle of it. We have to fight on the side of good and and fight every day. This is what we do on this show. This is what I do around the clock. And I know you guys do it too. I mean, you're here listening to the show. 
and you're doing all kinds of things in your own life, in your own ecosystem to save this country. But this is a spiritual battle and you have to see it that way. And that's why, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time this year on the show talking about politics, talking about these races, talking about elections and, and election integrity and the candidates and all of it, the issues, of course. But understand that the politics is just one simple avenue of what we are up against here. The evil is everywhere. But the good news is we are ascendant. This movement, America First, uh, of average Americans who love their country and want to take it back, there are more of us awake, not woke, awake now than ever. So actually, the left and all of these dark forces have done us a huge favor because they overshot. They always overshoot because they can't not do it. So they always overshoot. They jump the shark, and when they jump the shark, the rest of us wake up. You and I have been awake this whole time. I mean, Lord knows, since the beginning of my career, I've been awake to what's actually going on here, both on the the evil spiritual plane, but also the political plane, the communist plane, all of it. And now more and more of you are awake too because they constantly jump the shark. They can't help it. They can't stop themselves. Revolutionaries are always greedy. Revolutionaries are always greedy. And what are they greedy for? They're greedy for power. That's what all of this is all about. Power, power, power. The ideology comes second. Guys, we talk about communism all the time on this show, and this is a Marxist revolution. But understand that for the communists, it's power first, and then the ideology second. The ideology for them is is just very self-serving because it's another route to consolidate ever more power for them. So yes, this is a Marxist revolt. We've been subjected to it for decades now. Only now are people like waking up to, holy crap, this is what's actually going on. But that's a good thing because better late than never. And we have very limited time here to turn this ship around. The window is closing and the hour is late. But the good news is that today, January 2nd, 2024, begins a new chapter. There are all kinds of unforeseen things coming, and I want to deal with that here in a second. But guys, stand tall, power up, be courageous and of good heart. Evil will be crushed and goodness will prevail. This is the year. Let's go. We're coming right back. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Okay, guys, welcome back. Uh, later today or tomorrow, uh, we could get some information, some documents related to the Jeffrey Epstein case. Um, there were a number of cases against him, as you can imagine, from victims and others, uh, defamation, etc. And um, uh, one of the judges in one of these cases, a New York judge, has uh, ordered the release of the documents related to one particular case. And apparently there are about 150 names or so uh, related to Jeffrey Epstein on these set of documents. Now, again, everybody has been out there talking about the Epstein client list. I do not think what we're going to get today over the next day or so is the so-called Epstein client list. It may be sort of related. You may get a lot of really big names on whatever we're going to see here, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all of those names related on these documents are people who were engaged in sex trafficking, child trafficking, um, underage uh, uh, prostitution, all of that stuff that, that Jeffrey Epstein was found and convicted of. Um, and probably killed over. Um, that doesn't mean that. I mean, what we're going to see here today is not necessarily the so-called client list. And again, I'm, I, look, I don't know a lot about this case, but I'm not convinced that there is a quote unquote client list. Now, there's a lot of chatter and have been over the last like couple of days about Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was close to Jeffrey Epstein and Epstein's number two, Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, They were photographed together. Ghislaine actually attended the wedding of Chelsea Clinton, which was back in, what, 2011 or 2013, something like that. She was photographed right on the aisle watching Chelsea come down the aisle. So I think there's more here then meets the eye to Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein and what was going on there. I'm not sure if we're ever, you know, going to know the true truth about this um, because Epstein is now dead and the forces that are protecting all of this are very powerful. So I don't know. But what we have learned over the last couple of days is that Bill Clinton's name apparently appears about 50 times in these documents that we are going to get. And he's been identified as John Doe number 36. So uh, (laughs) he's got some explaining to do. Mrs. Clinton turned off all of her comments. She locked down her Twitter account the other day. She put up a picture of her with Bill and Chelsea at the White House when they were in there um, in front of a White House Christmas tree. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, she chimed. But then she shut off all the comments and locked up her her social media accounts because she doesn't want people commenting back to her. And I get it. I get it. But here's the thing about Bill Clinton. Um, Again, I'm pretty sure there's more here than meets the eye of what we know about what Clinton was actually doing with Jeffrey Epstein, he denied being on the island, that that Epstein Island in the Caribbean on the Lolita Express, although I think he was photographed on the Lolita Express. Guys, understand here, this is all of a piece. Everything that we talk about here, it's all working together. It's all the left, it's all the system, it's all the Marxist, it's it's bribery, it's extortion using sex. It's all of a piece. Many of our leaders, 
um, uh, many of our institutions all across the West, but certainly here in the United States, is all tied together, right? So whether it's Jeffrey Epstein, it's Bill Clinton, it's Bill Gates, it's the head of banks, um, the whole corrupt web of power, control, human trafficking, sex trafficking, child trafficking, all of this stuff is evil and it's all related to power, which in the hands of the wrong people is used for really grotesque evil, as we have seen throughout history since the fall of man, okay? So there is so much more to this Epstein story than we know. Was he working with intelligence services like the CIA or the Israeli Mossad? We don't know. Did he have, he obviously had this predilection for very young underage girls, which maybe the intelligence agencies around the world scoped that out, saw it, recruited him by extorting him and blackmailing him, recruited him then as a weapon of their own to to entice very powerful people to engage in this kind of criminal activity, the abuse of children, underage girls, underage boys, who knows, and then use that kind of blackmailable information to to weaponize these people. And again, I don't know, but there are names around Jeffrey Epstein, like Bill Clinton, like Bill Gates, big bankers, and so on, um, Hollywood people. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg here, and so much more remains to be seen. But remember, you know, when people talk about the Lolita Express, that was one airplane. Jeffrey Epstein apparently had three planes. Two he used for legit purposes to ferry around actual friends, actual legit business associates. And then there was one that was tricked out with a bed and, you know, photographed. We've seen the inside. I think the plane has been decommissioned and like torn apart for parts or something by now. But he had three separate planes. So like... Like the mob, they, you know, Jeffrey Epstein had legit business, okay, and, and legit business partners and legit friends, and then he had the underground stuff, the dark stuff. And so, you know, when they're talking about Bill Clinton, was Bill Clinton on the Lolita Express? Was Bill Clinton at Epstein Island? Is that where he went? Because, you know, people are like, the people on the left, yesterday, they were re-releasing the flight logs for the planes. But that information has been out for a very long time. So, uh, you know, people on the left wanted to resurrect those flight logs because, you know, whose name was on some of the flight logs? Donald Trump. So they're trying to dilute whatever Bill Clinton did or did not do with Jeffrey Epstein, who knows, um, by saying, well, Donald Trump did it too. In fact, on Twitter yesterday, it was trending, so so has Trump, or so did Trump. So they're trying to do this moral equivalence. The big difference here is that apparently Bill Clinton did, in fact, go on the Lolita Express plane, and he did, in fact, visit the island. Now, Clinton has denied it, so I'd I'd like to see some actual proof, and maybe in these documents today we will get that. But Donald Trump was never on the island 
and he was never on the Lolita Express. Donald Trump was on one of the legit planes only going from Teterboro Private uh, uh, Airport in New Jersey to Palm Beach and back, I think twice. And when you look at the manifest, Donald Trump was on that plane with his then-wife, Marla Maples, their daughter, who was an infant at the time, Tiffany, and a nanny. They're all listed on the flight manifest. So, no, Donald Trump was not doing any kind of underage criminal activity. He had his wife, daughter, and a nanny on the plane, and uh, Jeffrey Epstein simply gave them a lift to and fro. Twice, I think. Whereas Bill Clinton has some more explaining to do. Photographed with some of these girls, one of them giving him a back rub. That's now a famous uh, photo. And how about that painting that Jeffrey Epstein had hanging in his New York uh, uh, townhouse of Bill Clinton in a blue dress, strewn about a chair, wearing red shoes and pointing right at the camera or the painter. I mean, how creepy is that? So Bill Clinton has some explaining to do. Mrs. Clinton has turned off her social media comments <laughs> section. And look, I, we're focused on Bill Clinton because it leaked that he's named in these documents as John Doe number 36 about 50 times. But there are many, many other powerful people who profess to be our quote-unquote leaders who are engaged in some very dark stuff, Jeffrey Epstein being a piece of it. I think this year we're going to see a lot of truth coming out. And of course, a lot of matching psyops to go with it, psychological operations to keep you off balance, keep you off kilter, and, and questioning what's true and what's untrue. They're going to bury us in a flurry of lies. Big tech is already trying to clamp down on accounts telling the truth, like libs of TikTok being suspended from Facebook just over the weekend. So they're going to be up to their usual psyop routines, trying to to stifle speech, uh, crush the First Amendment in order to crush the truth from coming out. But I have a feeling as powerful as they are, we're going to see a lot of truth and it is going to be shocking. And we're here for it. That's what this show is all about. And I'm so happy that you're here on board for this ride with me. I appreciate you guys so much. All right, let's hit another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to John Solomon of Just the News of what 2024 might have in store for us. We're going to get some predictions from him, which you're not going to want to miss. Sit tight. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, I am so happy to have as our very first guest of the new year, my dear friend and award-winning investigative journalist, 
John Solomon. John has had a long and distinguished career in journalism, and he is currently the founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of JustTheNews.com, which is the place to go for all kinds of breaking news and big investigative work that you will not get anywhere else. He also hosts Just the News on Real America's Voice and the John Solomon Reports podcast. I have been honored to be a guest on both shows. They are fantastic. So please go check them out. He joins us now. John, welcome. And I was saying to you off the air that we have a new tradition here on the Monica Crowley podcast <laughs> I love it. to kick off the year with you. And I'm thrilled. Thank you. I'm so blessed to be with you. Happy New Year. And I love your show. I listen to it all the time. I'm so grateful that you have such powerful thought leadership, particularly at a time where so there are so few people leading with thought. Uh, you do that every day. And it's a great honor to be on the show. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much, John. And yes, uh, likewise, which is uh, what you're doing at Just the News and Real America's Voice and your podcast and, and uh, the website. You do such extraordinary work you have throughout your career. I've been very blessed to have worked with John Solomon uh, in various places, including the Washington Times, and he is just an extraordinary real journalist, which is why I, we have this new tradition, because I want to kick off each year by talking to you and getting a sense of what's in store for us this year. And I know nobody has a crystal ball, but you come as close as anybody to having one, especially on politics. So let's start, John, with uh, the presidential election cycle. I was just saying in the monologue that this year does not feel like a presidential election year, at least not yet. And I know yeah. it's early, but I guess because there's no real suspense at least yet, on either side, that's that right. it doesn't seem to have the same kind of energy, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think the Republican contenders who thought they would be competitive against President Trump haven't been to date. And so it has felt uh, inevitable for quite some time now, maybe 8, 10, 12, 14 weeks, that uh, it's going to be a Trump v. Biden rematch and a very uh, clear uh, difference in vision about the world, about the economy, about uh, the nation's security, the border. Uh, and so you're right, the, the, the hoopla that we would normally have around the Iowa caucuses or the New Hampshire primary, just not there right now. Now, something could change. Obviously, if someone has a good showing in one of those early races, uh, maybe there'll be that traditional primary excitement. But right now, Donald Trump has uh, the lead in polling. He has the lead in infrastructure. He has the lead in messaging. And he has something that I think um, over the weekend, Barack Obama's old um, political advisor, David Axelrod, had, he's got the lead in sympathy now, too. And that's something you don't think of. You don't think of Donald Trump as a sympathetic guy. You think of him as a tough guy out there leading by strength. Uh, but all of these attacks, uh, whether it's trying to get him off the ballot or try to uh, indict him not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, uh, it has led to a sort of a sympathy factor, a sort of, hey, this is not what we do in America. Why are they punishing this man this way? Uh, and I think that's one of the unwritten forces below uh, the tectonic plates of this election. Uh, the Democrats may have overplayed their hand. I think that's why David Axelrod was so overt in his warnings this past weekend about, hey, Democrats, this is making Trump stronger, not weaker. They really have done the impossible, which is turn Donald Trump into a sympathetic figure. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. mean, Donald Trump is is my friend. He's your friend. We love him as a president and as a friend. But, you know, his public persona is exactly that. It's a tough fighter. 
And they have turned him into a sympathetic figure, and that's turned into rocket fuel for his candidacy and his campaign. And you're exactly right. You've got big Democrats. I was on Fox News this morning talking about this. You've got big Democrats like uh, David Axelrod, who speaks for the Obamas. You've got uh, Gavin Newsom. You've got big like left-wing legal scholars like Alan Dershowitz. They're all saying, guys, you know what you're doing, this huge pylon is actually backfiring on all of you. And they're, they're beginning to realize that now, but they are so far down the road with this lawfare. Four indictments, 91 counts. They want to put him in prison 800 years. Now you got lawfare. They're trying to kick him off ballots and so on. I mean, th this pylon is having the exact opposite effect, right? It is. And that's exactly what David Axelrod, who, by the way, is a very smart political thinker. He might be uh, a liberal, but he really understands uh, the uh, political forces that shape elections, and he sees what his party's doing. Uh, first off, they have a problem on their side, right? Joe Biden has very low uh, ratings, uh, very low popularity, and a three quarters of Americans saying we think that the uh, country's on the wrong uh, chap uh, uh, direction, and so the wrong course. And so you see that they're not even addressing that. What they're doing is propping up the Republican candidate by attacking him in ways that most Americans find un-American, right? We don't keep people off the ballot because we dislike them. Uh, you, the American way is to settle these disputes through the ballot box on election day. And what they're, what they're seeing now is anything but that. And it's added. So they're helping, they're propping up Donald Trump and they're not addressing the extraordinary weaknesses that their own candidate brings, the baggage he brings to the 2024 election. That's Joe Biden, of course. You know, John, I, I was saying this in the monologue today on the show that that the left is so radical. I mean, this is a Marxist revolution. They are obsessed with power. Power is the thing that drives them the most. And the ideology is sort of secondary to that. But because they are revolutionaries driven by an unquenchable thirst for power, they can't not do it. In other words, if you were on the left and you wanted yeah. to destroy Trump, you would ignore him. You That's would right. leave him be. You would let him destroy himself. You would, you know, uh, right. let him hang himself with his uh, mouth and whatever, right? right but right. they they can't not do it. So they always overshoot and they always go too far. And I think we're seeing exactly that. Do you disagree? And And can you add anything to what I just said? No, I, I think you have it exactly right. And that's why so many smart Democrats uh, like James Carville, uh, like David Axelrod, have been trying to send the warning sign. The problem is the warning is falling on deaf ears. If you're a Democrat, your party's not listening to you. Your party's doubling down on the very strategies that have uh, brought you to this moment. What are those strategies? Let's tout Bidenomics. Bidenomics is good for everybody. Well, most Americans don't think that. They go to the grocery store. A lot of Americans probably spent this New Year's week in trying to figure out what bills can I afford to pay and what ones do I kick to the next month because inflation has taken such a bite out of my uh, wallet and uh, interest rates have taken such a bite out of my debt. Uh, and uh, you've got an entire young generation of Americans that don't have the affordability of a home. The dream of the American dream of a home is gone. And yet the Democrats, for reasons that completely uh, perplex pollsters, they're doubling down on Bidenomics. So you got that problem. And then on the flip side, you've got uh, the continuation of trying to persecute and make sympathetic Donald Trump. Uh, both strategies are bad for the Democratic Party right now. They seem to be intent on going in that direction nonetheless. And I think 
you know, people talk about Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, whatever this is, uh, there is an emotion driving it and not strategy. And that's why the Democrats enter 2024 in pretty tough shape. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. They, the All of the energy and activism are on the radical left in the Democrat Party. So they're the ones driving this bus. And they're also driving the bus off the cliff, too. So. Yeah. Axelrod, Newsom, you know, they're, they're starting to see the writing on the wall. But again, the radicals just can't help it. So what do you see? We've got voting coming up uh, beginning in Iowa in just about two weeks, January 15th. And then in rapid succession, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, at least for the GOP, uh, Democrats starting with South Carolina. What, what do you foresee on both sides? Do you think I mean, there can always be a surprise, um, but what do you, based on the, the what we know now and, and the polling that we're seeing, John, what do you expect? I think you're going to see on the Democratic side what we saw in uh, 1980 with Jimmy Carter on the Democratic side. There's going to be a protest vote, anybody but Joe Biden, and those votes will go to a whole bunch of different candidates. It could be Marianne Williamson, it could be Robert F. Kennedy, it could be write-in candidates. But there'll be a portion of the Democratic Party that will spend this primary protesting Joe Biden saying, can't we do better than this? So that will make uh, Joe Biden. It will add to the story and the appearances of weakness on the Republican side. If Donald Trump stays the course and he has uh, the same polling numbers going out of uh, uh, Iowa that he has right now, same in New Hampshire, the same in South Carolina, he will have essentially sewn up the uh, a nomination by uh, certainly uh, uh, intellectually by uh, Super Tuesday. What does that allow him to do? It allows him to readjust very quickly and to spend nine months, not five months, on the Democratic nominee. He can start to pivot to Donald uh, Joe Biden. In fact, you see it already when you watch the president's, the former president's events. He spends far more time talking about Joe Biden's problems than he does about Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. He throws in a couple nicknames reminds people of their weaknesses, but he is already starting to act like a general election candidate. I think it's very interesting. It's a sign of the polling advantage he has. He also has a huge infrastructure advantage. He went and built machineries in all of these states, and it puts him in great shape uh, to sew this up early. If he can sew it up early, all of his resources, all of his money, all of his uh, attention can go to contrasting his record with that of Joe Biden. That's where he has the strongest argument to make. Just remember what my economy was like in 19. Remember what my security looked like in 2019. Remember what the border looked like in 19. Those are winning arguments and he could spend nine months doing that. The other thing I think he has the luxury to do, and I think this could happen, he could clear out the RNC. Since, uh, uh, since 2020, the RNC has struggled on several fronts. It really hasn't won elections. It's underperformed in most of the key elections, not all of them, but most of them. It has struggled at uh, adapting to the new ground game. What is the new ground game? It's not voting like we did in 2020 or 2016. It's uh, er, low propensity, early voters. Democrats have eaten the Republicans' lunch. Ronald McDaniel has not succeeded at getting a machinery that will, will uh, make up the difference there and put Republicans on better footing. Uh, and now the one thing that Ronald McDaniel has done well over the years is raise money. There seems to be a struggle there as well, a belief that maybe the RNC isn't a good place for donors to put their money. Donald Trump has to disrupt that. I would expect a major uh, upheaval in the uh, Republican National Committee, maybe in the February, March timeframe. Keep an eye on some of these state party chairs that are doing early voting the right way, North Carolina, Iowa, Florida. 
all have a strong early voting operation in addition to day of voting. That's the model Republicans need nationally. Uh, and then, you know, keep an eye on some of the big fundraisers. Someone like a Lyndon McMahon could be a very strong uh, replacement captain uh, of the ship for the RNC if there were to be uh, an ouster of Ron McDaniel. Uh, and, you know, a Lyndon McMahon and maybe a state party chair maybe in March could give the president nine months to kind of retool and make the RNC an advantage again where it has sometimes been a dead weight. Is it you, you talk about February and March? I mean, time is flying by. This election yeah. is only 10 months away. If that were to happen, and I agree with you, I think it's absolutely necessary. Rana is uh, she's got a lot. She's a nice person, but she's got a track record of losing. Now she no longer has the trust of Republican voters, so she can't even right. fundraise anymore. She's got to go. She's got to go. So yep. if if that change is made, does that give President Trump and the wider GOP enough running room uh, before that first week in November where we're conducting these elections? I mean, we, we know the rigging that went on last time. We know the changes that have to be made state by state um, to, to at least mirror what the Democrats have done legally, never mind illegally. Um, but does that give us enough uh, runway here to accomplish that, or is it too late? It does, because Donald Trump's campaign has been operating the way that it wants the RNC to operate for a long time. And I think that's the key. In a presidential election year, the presidential candidate drives the RNC. Uh, if you look at Donald Trump's uh, ground game, if you look at the strategies they've been employing for the last several months, registering new voters, getting into Hispanic and African-American communities and Asian communities where there's great disaffection, uh, beginning to message to young people, not write them off as that's an entire lost generation. Republicans will never get millennials and Gen Z. No, you might be able to get in. And the messaging that Donald Trump has used to say, listen, wouldn't you like to own a home? Joe Biden's made it impossible for you to own a home. How about we lower interest rates and give you and your family a chance to uh, afford a home and a mortgage and a nest uh, uh, for future retirement. I think all of those things are already underway. Getting the RNC to follow uh, the Donald Trump strategies is very real. There's another dynamic that's going on. Donors became unbelievably frustrated uh, by the continued lack of performance by RNC. And so private entities have jumped into the fray and they're going out and doing the grounding. They're going out and registering voters trying to get low propensity voters to vote early. Charlie Kirk's got a lot of money raised. Uh, Lee Zeldin has done some really wonderful things, not just in New York, but across the country. There is uh, an infrastructure being built outside the RNC that Donald Trump can tap. Uh, I think those are very positive things. They're not written about in the media very much. They've been below the radar. Uh, but that gives uh, the president, if he were to uh, secure the nomination early, a very quick way to flip the RNC around. Hey, Follow what these nonprofits are doing. Follow my campaign. Jump in there. Let's raise some money. I think just the change of leadership, much like when George Steinbrenner would fire the Yankees manager, it often will have that cardiac paddles effect. Uh, and you'll see money start to flow back into the RNC. There'll be a sense of enthusiasm that something changed. Let's get back into the fight. And I think that's uh, likely to happen. I do think there's plenty of time to readjust the strategy. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you're optimistic. Um, because we've got a lot of work to do, but we need solid leadership at the top here. So good. That's good to hear. Um, on the Democrat side, do you think Joe Biden is going to make it? Yeah, listen, the I, candidate? Don't think he, I think uh, barring a health issue, which no one can predict, I think he is not intent on stepping aside. He, uh, he feels he's doing a great job. He says so. 
I take him at his word. Uh, and yes, he shows all the signs of uh, age, but he doesn't show any signs that he realizes that age is his liability or one of his liabilities. And I think he will stay in uh, stubbornly, much like Jimmy Carter stubbornly stayed in in 1980. Uh, and Democrats are going to have to make uh, the soup that they've got. It's too late to get someone on the ballot for the primary. You could always try to slip something in at the convention, but I just don't think that uh, Joe Biden thinks he should step aside. And uh, he's acting like a guy that's in for the long haul. Uh, and that's going to that's why you see the Axelrods and the um, James Carvels and others beginning to panic, which is all right. If this is our guy, for God's sakes, let's <laughs> let's play our hand a little bit better. And uh, I think that's going to be the pressure. That's going to be the debate. There'll be more civil war in the Democratic Party. Uh, heading into the fall election, more disagreement, more frustration than there will be on the Republican side. And that's pretty remarkable, given where the Republican Party ended 2020 with the January 6th riot and uh, the loss in the 2020 election. Everybody thought Republicans would be the divided, conquered group in 2024. But it may very well be that division and anger and uh, distrust and uh, dysfunction are going to be the Democrats' uh, leading edge of their strategy right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I And look, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that if the left's power brokers determine that Biden is not, he, he's not going to be able to win on his own. And if right. they rig this thing like they did the last time, they're going to, if they believe that Trump's lead is so insurmountable, they're not going to be able to rig it for Joe Biden. They will dump him so fast. But then they've got another problem named Kamala, and what do they do with her? So I think yeah. break out your yeah, popcorn because I don't think we've seen the end of this. Yeah, no, you're right. And they have a real problem, right? They can't skip Kamala Harris in this uh, scenario, and she is even weaker in the polling, weaker in performance. Uh, you know, I was going back through some of her speeches the other day to write a story on some of the failures in their electric school bus program. And you go back and watch the speech she gave when she announced school buses, her delivery awkwardness when people see that front and center right now she's number two so a lot of times the coverage isn't there but when people see Kamala Harris on the stage giggling and repeating herself and often mumbling through things that make no sense they're going to go on and say gee Joe Biden sounds better I never thought I'd say that Kamala Harris is a even weaker candidate than Joe Biden and I don't think given the identity politics of the Democratic Party they can say oh we're just going to skip you and go to Gavin Newsom so the Democrats have got a tough uh, deck of cards to play for the next 10 months Yes, it, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see them try to navigate this problem. Two problems yeah. called the president and the vice president. Um, before we let you go, can you give us an overview of what we can expect, John, from Congress? I know we're moving toward a, a real impeachment process. We've got a formal impeachment inquiry going. Can you sort of walk us through that and other investigations and any kind of legislation we can expect this year? Yeah, listen, I, I think the Republicans have to deliver on their promise that they were going to shrink government and get the budget bills passed. They have failed thus far. They have failed through dysfunction in the House Republican caucus. Um, it's Mike Johnson's job to tighten that up and fix that. Uh, he should come out of these holidays running, ruling more with an iron hand. And if he doesn't do that, uh, the House will be very much in play in the fall election. If he does get some cuts in uh, budget, if he does get some function going again, uh, House Republicans are in pretty good shape because they've got a lot of retirements on the Democratic side, a lot of open seats that Democrats normally wouldn't have to defend. Uh, but I do think they have to deliver on their core promise. They had to shrink government, they had to get back to normal 
order in the budget process. Uh, they have failed at that thus far. The guy to keep an eye on in the next two weeks is Mark Green. He's the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee. He will, uh, I think, jettison and jump ahead of the Biden impeachment inquiry with an impeachment inquiry on the Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. His hands will be strengthened because the December numbers will come out in a couple of days. They will be the largest illegal migration wave in American history in a single month. Uh, the mm -hmm. border has gotten worse despite Joe Biden's quote-unquote reforms. I think the uh, Mayorkas impeachment will jump forward and be more front and center for a few months as Comer and Jordan continue to dig through the complicated finances of Joe Biden, and then they'll come back to Joe Biden in the spring. Uh, but I would keep an eye on Mark Green. I think he's going to move to the forefront and then keep an eye on Marjorie Taylor Green. She is uh, the uh, match that always keeps close to the candle. She's always ready to light that candle. And uh, I think she will put pressure on Republicans to do what they say and to say what they mean. Uh, and I think she'll be a, a, an important uh, force in trying to get the Republican Party to deliver on what they said they were going to deliver. A lot of Republicans aren't worried that they fail to deliver on their promises. She's one of the few that realizes it's a millstone around the neck of the House Republicans if they don't deliver. And I think she'll become more of a taskmaster, more of a disciplinarian, um, uh, and, and perhaps create enough friction to get the Republicans to do what they've failed to do in their first 12 months of power. Yes, and she was just on the show uh, before we ended the year. She is phenomenal, and she's a real fighter and a driving force. Um, so Joe Biden impeachment, Alejandro Mayorkas impeachment, maybe a Merrick Garland impeachment, but you've got a lot of Republicans who don't want to go down this road, even with Joe Biden and the mountains of, of, of impeachable evidence that we already have, because it's an election year and they're afraid of their own shadows. Do you expect an impeachment vote? at some point. Um, and then obviously a Democrat Senate is not going to convict. So therefore, the entire point is if there's not going to be a removal of Joe Biden as president, you've got to go through the process and make the process the point. Do you think yeah. enough Republicans understand that? Uh, I do. I, I listen, there isn't a Republican, even the most moderate Republican who now says, my God, what the Biden family did is unseemly, unethical, improper, a disgusting display of greed over national security. Uh, even the most liberal Republicans see it now because the evidence has gotten stronger and more clear. And uh, a lot of the people who in 2019 were told not to trust my story, they call me now and say, oh my God, you're right. It's even worse than you said. And the answer is it is worse than I reported in 19. Uh, I think there's a possible scenario that they will do Mayorkas impeachment and send that to the uh, Senate. And they may uh, vote out articles of impeachment on Joe Biden and then say, you know what? We trust the American people to look at these articles and to be the ultimate jury and allow voters to decide in November. I see that as one possible scenario that could play out here, a quick impeachment or a, a, a definitive impeachment against um, Mayorkas and then putting the articles out there, voting out the articles and saying, you know what, rather than put the country through another impeachment trial, uh, like the drive-by impeachments of Donald Trump, we're going to let the American people look at this evidence and we're going to trust them to make the right decision in the fall election. That is a scenario that uh, some Republicans I talked to think is very likely. Uh, a lot of history is going to play out. There's still evidence that's going to come forward. There's going to be more bombshell testimony. So I think Republicans could go the full route and could go impeachment. One scenario is they stop short of an impeachment on Joe Biden. They do the Mayorkas impeachment and they tell the American people, we know you're smart. Democrats treat you as stupid. We won't treat you that way. You're smart enough. We're going to give you the evidence. You be the jury uh, next November 2024. 
It's going to be very interesting, a wild ride. Um, and finally, John, before we let you go, any kind of legislation? What does a legislative calendar look like? Anything to look forward to or brace for? I think the budget deal will give Republicans a chance to score a major victory on the border. Uh, they, uh, there is a willingness on up and down the caucus now to hold the line on the border. And for the first time, the Senate, which often feels like it's dead, uh, Senate Republicans uh, are joining with Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson's done a good job of engaging Mitch McConnell and, and, and getting Mitch McConnell and other Senate Republicans that normally play nice with the Democrats and say, we can't let this border crisis go on for a whole nother year. Too many people are dying. Too many women are being raped. Too many crimes are being committed. Too many dangerous terrorists and people who hate the country have snuck across the border. We got to do something. And that will be a legislative victory for all the Republicans if they can get it through. Joe Biden needs a budget. He desperately wants his Ukraine money because he's more interested in the Ukrainian border than the American border. So he's going to have to trade something. And Republicans could come out of that as a major legislative win. That plus getting regular order, maybe a little shrinkage in government. Uh, they could go to the uh, 20, November 2024 election saying, hey, we made a little bit of a difference. Give us That was our down payment. Give us full control of Washington. We'll, we'll put this on steroids. So I think we'd watch for that. There's one other dynamic I want to put on the table because we don't talk about it, but this is a fascinating uh, a fact, and a lot of people don't know it. This year, more than half of the world's population will, uh, lives in countries that will hold national elections. It's a rarity to have that many elections in a single year. These mm -hmm. elections are going to shape the world while we're shaping American policy in the choice between Joe Biden and likely Donald Trump. Uh, you've got Taiwan in just a couple of weeks, followed uh, in, the, in the spring and summer by several others. Russia, uh, Ukraine is trying to delay its uh, elections. That may be interesting to see what happens. India, the European Union, which is suddenly trending conservative. Those global elections are going to change the dynamic on the global stage and potentially set a backdrop for what American voters will do in November. Um, I keep an eye on that. In fact, even in South Africa, there could be some shocking election results for the first time in three decades. So a lot going on and the world is changing around us. I think the American people are going to want to make a change in America to match that uh, for those forces in the world. Yeah, I agree. We saw that in 2016 with the Brexit vote in June of that year. And that's when I knew Trump was likely to clinch it in 2016. So yeah, there are a lot of populist trend lines going across the West because the people are sick of being abused, exploited, and having their countries and their sovereignty destroyed. So this, this is going to be the year, John, and I hope you will come back early and often on this show to join us with your brilliant insights. Absolutely. Anytime, Monica. Always love our conversations and cherish our friendship. Same, same. Happy New Year. John Happy. Solomon of Just the News. Go check it out, justthenews.com. Also watch John on uh, Just the News on Real America's Voice and check out the John Solomon Reports podcast. All right, guys, what a fantastic show. First show of the new year, January 2nd, 2024. Thank you so much for joining me and for checking out our great sponsors. As always, we really appreciate that. All right, have a great start to the first week of the new year. I will see you right back here on Thursday. We're going to talk to Christina Bob, one of President Trump's attorneys, about where those cases stand and what they predict for that. And we have so much more coming up next week as well. Really big guests and big shows. So thank you so much. And I will see you right back here on Thursday.
This episode of the Monica Crowley Podcast was produced by Bayhockle Entertainment, LLC. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.